0: Woe to you when all speak well of you, for that is what their ancestors did to the false prophets. The Gospel of the Lord. Let us pray. Gracious God, let the words of my mouth, the meditation of our hearts, be acceptable in your sight and fruitful for our faith. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I have a friend that I know, um, and when we read scripture together, he is often um, convicted He's, uh, he often struggles when we hear in the Bible and certainly in the New Testament, talk about the rich and the poor. The text he struggles the most with is that one where Jesus tells the rich man to sell everything and give it to the poor and the rich man leaves, you know and despairing. He struggles with it because, As he looks at his life and probably standards of economy from biblical times, he sees himself as rich, and he wonders, well, where am I in this equation? When in Mary's Magnificat in the Gospel of Luke, it talks about leaving the wealthy no part, he wonders, where am I in this picture? And I love that he struggles with it because he's letting Scripture do what Scripture does, get into our lives and make us ask that question, where are we? It's kind of like I remember in Mr. Geiger's class in sixth grade. And we'd show up and, you know, you get your homework assignment and you're told to read this chapter or that chapter and, and most of the time you did it. But once in a while he would give that great what? pop quiz. Do you remember? Maybe you didn't have this experience, but do you remember when you didn't read the chapter and you look down at that piece of paper and you have no idea? No idea. It's a rotten feeling. Sometimes when we hear Scripture read and when we read Scripture, and, and maybe for us in what would probably a middle-class or upper-middle-class neighborhood or community, when we hear this talk that Jesus often embarks on about the rich and the poor, it might be a little bit like looking at that test, like my friend does, and he goes, Wow, I'm toast. Well, let's see if we can do good biblical exegesis this morning. You ready to work a little bit here, you know, get the cobwebs off of the whole week of sitting around doing nothing. You know. Because we do need to ask ourselves when Jesus talks about the poor and when he talks about the rich, how do we translate that into our world and our culture? We talk about, first you look at what the Bible meant in its original context, and then you talk about what it means in our context. This is basic hermeneutics, as we call it, or exegesis, letting the text come out to us versus us reading our stuff into the text. So I spent a ton of time this week doing word studies and reading you know historical cultural stuff of Jesus' day. I've got a, I've got way too much material that way that I could read and I just got immersed while I sit around watching was sitting around watching it snow. Reading about what it meant in biblical times, and certainly in Jesus' time to be poor or to be rich. Because of course it's all a matter of what you compare yourself to. When I was in Ethiopia, a pastor was Um, looking at moving there to teach and I was impressed by that he was going to bring his whole family, four kids and his spouse and he was going to go and teach at a school there in Ethiopia in Addis Ababa and and so we went we were looking, the person I was with, we were kind of, we did a little housing search well the, the nicest neighborhood looked like a neighborhood here that would be probably considered a poor neighborhood. So, so, you know, how do we translate this into our time and what does it mean for us? So, so here's the deal. I did a ton of searching and there's a commentary called the Social Science Commentary. It's from Augsburg Fortress and a couple authors named Rohrbau and Molina and they talk about poverty and wealth in these terms. Now, I wish they'd have given a few more footnotes where they get all their information, but hey, they're scholars, so we'll take their word for it, right? But it's interesting. This is what they say. Essential to understanding poverty is the no- in Jesus' time is the notion of limited good. In modern economies, we make the assumption that goods are, in principle, in unlimited supply. If a shortage exists... We can produce more. If one person gets more of something, it does not automatically mean someone else gets less. My mom and dad ran a business, a small business. I got to watch it go every day. They provided goods and services, and people paid them for those goods and services, and they did a really super job, and they worked really hard, then they got more money because they provided more goods and services. And that wasn't a sense that in doing that they had stolen something from someone else, or they had taken part of the pie that someone else wasn't going to get. But these authors here say, no, that's not the way it was in Jesus' day. All goods, they say, um, In Palestine, the perception was the opposite. All goods existed in finite, limited supply and were already distributed. This included not only material goods, but also honor, friendship, love, power, security, and status as well. Literally everything in life. Because the pie could not grow larger, a larger piece for anyone automatically meant a smaller piece for someone else. An honorable person... An honorable man would thus be interested only in what was rightfully theirs and would have no desire to gain anything more, that is, to take what is another's. Profit-making and the acquisition of wealth were automatically assumed to be the result of extortion or fraud. The notion of an honest rich man was a first-century oxymoron. To be labeled rich was therefore a social and moral statement as much as an economic one. It meant the power or capacity to take from someone weaker what was rightfully not yours. Being rich was synonymous with being greedy. By the same token, being poor was to be unable to defend what was yours. It meant Falling below the status at which one was born, it was to be defenseless without recourse. And he goes on and looks at how in Luke, oftentimes the poor are linked with the blind, the lame, the outcast, etc. They all go together sometimes when Jesus talks, especially in the Gospel of Luke. So what do we do with that? So in essence, what these authors are saying in Jesus' time, the rich meant greedy and the poor meant imprisoned, knocked down. How do we translate that to our lives? Most of us, from biblical standards, are rich. Does that mean we're greedy? Does that mean we've taken what was someone else's? Well, of course, we know we live in a capitalistic or free enterprise, as I was taught at Cal Lutheran in my one economics class I took, thank goodness I took one. That it doesn't work that way. And I can say I know a lot of people who are quite wealthy who are not greedy. In fact, they give more generously than I can even put my brain around sometimes. You know, for instance, in our, um, in our current situation... I mean, does Amazon come into your life and say you must buy your product from us and take our money from us? Well... (laughs) (laughs) But no, I can go get in my car and go to the mall and buy something. I don't have to buy from Amazon and give Amazon more and more and more and more and more power. You You know, they're providing a good and service and we're paying for that. So are they stealing Something that was someone else's, well, we know in our situation it's much more complicated than that. And, and don't worry, I'm going to stop in my economic wrestling because I really am not qualified to do this. But my friend, when he reads the Bible and he reads rich and poor and he hears rich, he goes, I'm toast. I'm, you know, I'm left out. I'm like that. Am I? And so this is the question. Well, I don't know if Rohrbar and Molina are correct exactly. I don't know that we know for sure what rich and poor were like in first century Israel. In fact, archaeology is showing us that a lot of the people that Jesus called, who lived in Nazareth or Capernaum or around the Sea of Galilee, um, actually were probably doing fairly well as fishermen. It was a bustling industry. Um, we see homes in Nazareth that had, ju- we, ha- they have jewelry. They have, um, an, it's a nice house. Um, they, there's viticulture and there's farming going on. And so there's certainly enough to keep somebody busy and to keep food on their plate. I'm certainly not saying that these were the elite of society. So it's interesting. But maybe what we should do today is just look right at Luke's gospel when it comes to this question. And and maybe you weren't even thinking this when you heard Jesus say, Blessed are the poor, and woe to you who are rich. Maybe that's not even a question. I shouldn't have assumed that right at the beginning. But maybe maybe it is. I found it to seemingly be something people struggle with. Well, if you look at Luke's audience, or the audience in Luke for Jesus' sermon here, it's really fascinating. So far, Jesus has called a Levi, Levi, who is a tax collector, who is wealthy, who is thought to be outcast because he's a sinner because he's a tax collector, not because he's poor. He's been brought into the 12 disciples. You've got Peter, James, and John, they've been called and brought in, these fishermen who, like I say, probably weren't destitute, but certainly not the rich. And then who else is coming to be Jesus' disciples? Who else is in the audience that hears this sermon? Well, people are coming who are sick. People who are coming who are oppressed by evil spirits. People who are coming, they are desperately in need of help. These are the people that sit in front of Jesus as he preaches. And so here Jesus says, blessed are the poor. Blessed are those who are mourning. Blessed are those um, who are outcast, especially because you came here today and are listening to me. Interesting. And note the difference between Luke and Matthew now in the the way they bring us this sermon. Matthew says, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek, blessed are those who mourn. But in Luke, Jesus says, blessed are, Are you who are poor? Blessed are you who are outcast. Blessed are you who are persecuted. Blessed are you who are mourning today. He looks right at his folks who have come and so in his audience are people who are poor. In his audience are people who are mourning. In his audience are people who are being outcast because they're coming to hear Jesus. Maybe. If we let just simply that dynamic tell us who it is to be rich and poor, we could say rich equals those people who don't think they need anything, who think they're fine on their own, who think their own abilities and their own status in life have given them security and confidence, and they don't need Jesus, they don't need a Savior, they don't need someone to heal them, Um, and the poor are those people who know they are in need. Those people who clamor to Jesus for healing, for hope. Maybe that's a way that we could look at it. But in all actuality, going down this road that I'm going gets us really nowhere. And in fact, it misses the point altogether. Because you see, Jesus doesn't say, Blessed are you if you become poor. Blessed are you if you go out and find something to mourn over. Uh, Blessed are you if you go out and somehow get other people to persecute you on behalf of my name. He doesn't say that, does he? He doesn't say, if you are mourning, then you will be blessed. No, he says, blessed are you. These are proclamations. These are declarations. In the Greek language, an imperative is often, this is what you're supposed to do, but that's not what we have here. What we have here is a declaration of Jesus, blessed are you who are poor. It is good news. What is happening here is that Jesus is taking a group of people who, for as far as society's standards, would not be included in who would be blessed. Not be included in um, even in the temple. You know, if you were blind or lame, you couldn't even go in. There was so much baggage about that. And so if you were poor, there was somehow God had not looked upon you favorably. If you were rich, God had looked on you favorably. Jesus totally reverses that. He totally flips that around. And he takes people who from society's standpoint would be outside the barrier. And he brings them in and he says, Blessed are you who are poor. So entrance into his kingdom the kingdom that jesus brings seems to be all about how broken we are and how open to recognizing our need and our brokenness is are you seeking healing today Are you trying to touch Jesus because you know when you touch him, power goes out to heal and forgive and bring grace? Blessed are you. We, of course, know that what Jesus has given us in in the ministry of the church is a mission to bring those who are outside in, to remove those barriers, to get beyond those barriers. This morning we're going to have a baptism What happens in baptism is that Jesus says, I'm taking you into myself, I'm taking you into my family. And guess what? You don't have to give any credentials. You know, this is your lineage, this is your heritage, this is how many good things you've done, this is how many bad, you know, there's no report card. You know, there's no pop quiz here. Jesus takes us in and says, blessed are you. And that's what happens in baptism. And we know that baptism connects us to Jesus' death and resurrection, that's how he has removed those barriers and brought us his forgiveness. There's at least three women in our congregation that I know of who I've sat and listened to as they've shared tears, who's have, who have a child who won't forgive them for something they've done. I'm thinking of a couple of them um, who are older and now living by themselves and still and and their child just adult child now won 't let go and won 't forgive them for something, and so there's just no relationship there, and it just hurts. Talk about mourning, talk about mourning. When I think about that, I think about so many other experiences people have in this life that um, take away the quality of their life, that, that um, leave them feeling lonely, outcast, outside, not apart. Um, and I think about these women, and I think about how important relationships here are, And how, but even with that, there's still that longing, that hope, and that mourning for reconciliation. Jesus would look out at those women, and look out at all of us with all of our experiences that leave us feeling broken, left out, and he would say, blessed are you who mourn. You will, you will be comforted. Jesus says blessed, and he brings us in that word blessed into himself. I I have another friend, he's kind of a big guy, and man, I just love it when he gives me a hug, because it's just like, whoa. There's no uh, escaping it. You know, that's, that's blessed are you. That's what happens when Jesus looks out at us and says, blessed are you. He just takes us in to himself and says, I know you are mourning. I know there's all kinds of things in your life that make you feel left out, make you feel lonely, that hurt your, the quality of life, and you mourn. But Jesus says, blessed are you, and he takes us in. He takes us in. That's what baptism is. That's what the church is. One final deal about this hug, this blessedness, is that the word in Greek is makarios. We've talked about this a little bit before, but just remember this. That in Greek culture, Plato taught that the righteous, those who lived a just life in this world, got a reward. And they got to go to a special island. And that island was beautiful and filled with joy. And, you know, it was just this awesome place. If you lived a just life, Plato taught, you got to go to the island. And you know what that island was called? Makarios. Blessed. You see what the gospel writers are doing, Matthew and Luke, when they bring us Jesus' Sermon on the Mount... They're saying, you know how you get to that island of blessedness and giftedness and love and healing is not by your works, but by Jesus' proclamation and his words. Oh, may these words today not be like a pop quiz anymore. May they be an embrace and a hug. And since this is what Jesus is about, shouldn't this be what we're about? breaking through those barriers, including those who everyone else doesn't include. For whatever reason, because of the gospel, reaching out, bringing them in. That's what we're about. Thanks be to God that that's what's happened for us. Let us go and do likewise. Amen.